What would you do if you had to figure out how to photograph something in deep space that nobody knows is really there? This question and more get answered on Teamistry, the new podcast from Atlassian. Hosted by filmmaker Gabriella Cowperthwaite, Teamistry looks past the front page headlines and into the untold stories of teams behind groundbreaking moments. Each episode examines how the extraordinary chemistry of these teams made the impossible possible. Download Teamistry for free wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more at Atlassian.com. How does it feel like to not get an apology? Does that bother you? That, that bothers me, and that's a slap in the face. That adds insult to injury because here you are saying we're going to pay you some money so that you can go away. Yeah. Be quiet and sit over there and go on the beach and sip my ties. But if you're going to do that, then you'll be quiet also, right? If you're going to pay us, then don't have Linda Fairstein still coming out talking junk. She's very loud Very week. Yeah. What do you want to happen to Linda Fairstein? (laughs) It's above me now. (laughs) (laughs) The story of the Central Park Five is one of the most important stories in modern American life. It exposes how little black life matters in America. In 1989, in New York City, five black and brown teenagers were arrested for a crime they did not commit. The vicious rape and brutal beating of a white female jogger in New York City's most famous park. They were 14, 15, and 16 years old, but because they were young, black, and brown males from the hood, few people believed their innocence. There was no physical evidence linking them to the crime, and the confessions were a mess of contradictions because they were coerced by investigators who lied to them, threatened them, and in some cases, beat them. But all five were convicted. Yusef Salam, Raymond Santana, Corey Wise, Kevin Richardson, and Antron McRae were sent away. Most did around seven years, but Corey Wise did over 12. Those who got out found a cold world that looked at them as rapist scum. They lost family. There were family members who wouldn't believe them and wouldn't talk to them. They struggled to find work. They remained institutionalized, feeling more comfortable in smaller rooms that were the size of cells and fearing that chaos could break out at any time. They were lost until the man who actually committed the crime stepped up and admitted that he did it alone. From there, they had a 10-year slog pressing a lawsuit against New York City, which fought the suit with everything they had until a new mayor, the current mayor, Bill de Blasio, said, no, we're going to pay them. They got $41 million as a group, but they never got an apology from the city or an admission of wrongdoing by anyone. And nothing has happened that would prevent all of this from happening to another group of black boys again today. But as of right now, the Central Park Five have Ava DuVernay standing beside them. Ava has done what Ava does and directed an incredible four-part series about their story that is powerful and heartbreaking and must-watch TV. She's incredible. I wrote a long piece about the Central Park Five a few years ago for Playboy magazine called How the Central Park Five Still Haunt America, and I got to know them. So I called Dr. Youssef Salam and Raymond Santana, and I flew to Atlanta and we sat down and had this epic conversation. It's Dr. Youssef Salam and Raymond Santana from the Central Park Five on Torre Show.
Yusuf, where are you now in your life? Now that Ava and Oprah, these people are standing behind you. You got paid from the city. The world thinks you didn't do it. Where are you now in life? Oh, man, I would say I am 10 levels up, ready for the whole world and ready to live even fuller in that experience. You know, ready to give, ready to share, um, ready to almost take back everything that was taken from me. And I know that that's not possible, but living in the space of now, being present, you know, I always tell people live full, die empty, but being able to really for real do that. You know, all of the ideas, the dreams, the hopes, the aspirations that I once had that were just like what ifs or someday aisles, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's a great feeling to know that you don't have to ask permission to live. Whereas before we had to ask permission to go to the bathroom, if you can imagine, you know, that whole reality is, um, it's just beautiful to know that you're not crazy. Yeah. You know, like you don't have to raise your hand. Hey, uh, sorry, can I use the restroom? And everybody's looking at you like, what? <laughs> just go to the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's just one example. But I mean, it's it's a beautiful space to be in and to realize that you are actually the hero of your story, you know, and the fact that it's magnified times five is even a better blessing, you know, because each one of us have our own, so to speak, specialness and uniqueness that we bring to the story that makes it an even more special story. You get out of prison and it was a good 10 years that before you were vacated and exonerated. Yes. So you're moving through the world going, I didn't do this. And nobody's really, I mean, some black people are with you, but a lot of people are not believing it. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I mean, and so, so this is just a total alternate reality for you. This is this is a tectonic shift. You know, as we were leading up to May thirty first, twenty nineteen, I was telling folks that we are about to be hit with a meteorite. The whole globe is about to be hit with a meteorite of astronomic proportions. I mean, the fact that this story is going to be rippling around the world. 190 plus countries, you know, we've, we're still, I mean, I know it's just like what to a week, a week and a half, two weeks almost are uh, in, but it's, it feels so good to open up your social media or to bump into folks on the street. You know, we were in LA the other day and I'm just walking down a block. Cause I'm like, ah, let's go to the mall. You want to buy some stuff? I'm talking to my wife and somebody in their car said, Yusuf Salam. And I, <laughs> I looked and I said, are they talking to me? <laughs> so I said to my wife, I said, are they talking to me? She said, yeah. I said, I thought I was camouflaged. I had my shades on, right? I said, well, maybe it's somebody that I met before. No, this is somebody who's seen the film or seen these recent interviews. And they're, they're like, oh, shucks, that's one of the guys. You know, I'm walking back from there and you hear people whispering in a great way, right? So it used to be that there was, oh, that's the guy from the Central Park Jogger case, you know? Now it's like, oh, that's that's the guy from the film. The, the, that's the real guy, you know? Oh, my goodness, I, I would love to take a photo with him. You know, and, of course, I, I walk a little faster than my wife, and she's slowing up, and she's saying, oh, yeah, he'll let you take a picture. He's cool, <laughs> you know? He's approachable, you know? Because it's that res- that restoration, that, that, that you know, um, what is it, the psychosocial component that we all needed to feel as a... Um, 
a needed member of society that's mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, so now you you're not walking around like you're worthless. You're walking around like you can that you can contribute, you can participate, you have value, you have worth. That's a tremendous thing. Raymond, how are you? <clears throat> Raymond, how are you feeling? You know, just now the world sees you were right. You shouldn't have been incarcerated. They were wrong. You were right. How do you feel? Um, to echo off for use of it, it's 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 a blessing, and I'm happy for it. But there's a there's another part of me that um when I watched the film, it stirred all these emotions. Right, I was hurt. Um, especially when you see episode four, right? You see Corey's episode mm. because here we were trying to move on with our lives, and we're like. The system didn't break us, right? But when you see Corey's story, it almost broke him, yeah. right? And yeah. so there's a pain that goes out for that. And so the, and that contributes to my other side where I become like, well, put my gloves back on and let's beat their ass for another 12 rounds mm. because I'm upset. Incredible Hulk style. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm upset. And 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 they. this is what – this is the way they – this is the way they made us, right? They indo- they gave us prison, and it indoctrinated a, f- a fight in us that you just can't turn that off, right? This is our these thirty years has been our bout, and now even though we won, it's still like I want you to get up, don't go down so easy. Get back up so I can hit you a couple more times because <laughs> I haven't gotten it fully out, yeah. right? We always uh, like our first interview the five of us did together. It was real defensive. Yeah. Like, we all sitting in there like, and the guy's like, laugh, smile. You guys won. And we're like, nah. Like, we were still serious. I mean, you still have a lot of anger and yeah. pain that you're dealing with. Definitely. 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 And, and, and that's just on the surface. How about the internal stuff that, that we take back home with us? That our significant others are like, wow. Well, what's I mean? Is it is it fear? Is it anger? Is it anxiety? Is it shame? What's deeper down in you? It, it's it's aggression, right? Um, being boisterous, always, you know, like, easy to trigger. Yeah, easy to trigger. The right words can trigger a response, um, and not be able to see it as clearly as, let's say, my lady. Right. She's like, hey, why are you talking like that? And I'm like, you're right. I got to catch myself like she might trigger you. Yeah. Like she can say something and it'll trigger a response. But she knows where it comes from. Right. So she knows. Like, OK, okay I, you know, Ray, bring me back. And I'm oh, you're right. You're right. And that takes us. Yeah. You know, we were talking earlier. It takes a special caliber of person to deal with a person who's been broken by the system. Mm. You know, all of the negative things that they put in us and we took all of those negative things and we've been able to you know uh, bend it so to speak like alchemists into something else but at the same time we have to consciously be aware at those moments that we have to bend it you know because if we're not conscious it's like there, there may be times where something may happen and just like that you're back in prison and you're like oh snap okay cool I know what's going on they're about to form on me you know what I'm saying? All right, I'm going to hit him up like this, and then I got to exit the room so that I don't get caught. I mean, just that whole that survival process. mode, that yeah. thought process the is there. Yep. That's something that will never never go away. But one, one of the things that's most important, I think, too, is 
you know, when I look at some of the things that I've been taught, I'm always very conscious of, they say, don't get emotional, right? Because as soon as you get emotional, you get blinded. Yeah. And when you get blinded, you, like, you, you will go kamikaze yeah. and not worry about the moment. It's just about, I got to get this, you know, thing out, so to speak, but you without s- realizing it. So I say that because there's been moments where in my, like, we all have our growth and development stages that we're trying to help ourselves with because nobody came to us and said, hey, I'm going to help you reacclimate into society, mm. you see? And so we're doing it ourselves. We're looking at ourselves, putting the mirror in front of ourselves and saying, oh, shucks. I got a problem with time. But why do I have a problem with time? Am I CP time? Like, am I color people's time? Or, oh, I got a problem with time because I was made to do time. So, therefore, I hate time. Mm. I'm not going to follow time. But everybody else follows time. You see what I'm saying? And so then you have to figure out how do you uh, merge yourself into this uh, ability to still be productive, right? And so you say, okay, well, I'll just get there early. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you're still institutionalized. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Like what? I mean, for me, right, I moved to Georgia and I got this big house. But now, when in, in, let me rewind a little bit. In the documentary you see, right, I stayed in my father's, in my father's house and the room was the size of a cell. Yeah. Right? And so that's where I felt the most comfortable with the door closed. You prefer, and so now I prefer to be in a room the size of a cell. Size of a cell, That's right? That's so heartbreaking. No, I mean that is so but real but yeah. in terms of the comfort level. The comfort yeah. level, yeah, which you've been used to, yeah. And so, and then what I did was that I came down to Georgia. I bought this big house, and then now the house became a cell, right? So this is where my solitude and my comfort was at. But and then I still find myself staying in my bedroom with the door closed. Hmm. Right, because I got my my daughter's running around, my my lady, her daughter's running around, and I said, "Y'all can have the whole house." I'm in. This I just room. need this. I, I just, just need, need this space, room. right? So, so now I just I just exchanged that small room for a bigger cell. Yeah, it's crazy. I was talking yeah. to somebody, and they were talking about how, you know, they don't even sleep on their bed. They sleep so like if if a bed was in this room, um, and that was the entrance, and there were no windows here, right? They would sleep here. They would have their pillow and their, you know, comfort right there. And it was wild because I, I, I immediately recognized why. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a safety measurement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you got in that far, there's you're coming to try to do something to me. Mm. You know? And and that's one of the reasons why I left New York as well, you know, just to kind of talk about something from that perspective. Because when I used to get on the trains— it was this anxiety that I would immediately realize that if somebody is that close to me, I am about to be harmed. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that because it was the uncertainty of that whole thing about prison. Is it going down? You know, you go in there and you have this indelible scar on you where not only are you, are you, are you labeled a rapist, but you are a star in that particular world, you're known and very, very much so. Everybody knows who you are. You're, you're hiding in plain sight, but not really because everybody already knows. Yeah. You know? And so here you are outside, and you have to deal with that, that very real thing. So you may feel like, man, shoot, I could walk to 116th Street from 110th Street, but, man, nah, I'm going to get an Uber. 
Talk about watching. Or, or, or I'm going to walk, but I'm not going to take the train. That's right. just not going to happen. too much. Yeah, too much. <laughs> <clears throat> um, talk about watching this film. What was it like for you? Hard. <laughs> yeah? Even though, like, Ava was, was, was an open book to us. Like, I read the script. We was on set, right? Did Gave the actor input. who played you sit with you? And- yeah. We spoke, me and Freddie spoke on the phone several times. Then I met Marquise, and we did the same thing. Everything was an open book, and you you figure, like, I got a handle on it. It's fine. Until you sit there, you start watching some of these scenes. And this is acting. This isn't even, like, this isn't even the final product. This is just cut. All right, let's do it again. Yo, and, and bananas. It was hard. It was hard. I mean, even there's a scene that me and Yusuf went to the set one time, and, and it, there's a scene where uh, – the, the uh, Javon, who plays Antron, he does a scene with Michael K. Right, Michael K. Williams, who plays uh, Antron's dad, where he's sick and he's on the bed. And I watched one take, and I couldn't watch it no more. It broke me, yeah. knowing Bobby, knowing the type of person Bobby was, and then to see these that scene, it was so real that I was like, I can't even watch it. That, and that, that I think that was the important part that you look at these these portrayals of this truth that happened, right? And we get the opportunity to share and discuss how it happened, and then you have the actors doing it. And there be there may be moments as well where Ava may, you know, when they say cut, Ava may whisper into the ear of one of the actors or actresses, and something happened. They literally step into this next level of that role. And I'm, I remember... Um, Watching this scene where my mom's character, Anjanu, is walking back to the building after getting out of the car, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody asks her, um, so what do you think about, you know, Donald Trump wanting your son dead? Mm, the death penalty the death for penalty your son. Thing, yeah. yeah. And she, she was like, what? What? Yeah. Now, I really... saw her do that scene a few times. The part that tripped me out was then one day, one time she came over to her and whispered in her ear, and Anjanu, I looked at Anjanu, and I swear I was looking at my mom. Mm. She she embodied whatever, and I mean we call it we call it great acting, but part of it also is the the ability to tap into our own historical DNA, right? Mm. Tap into the reference that we already have. If you're able to know that that stream runs through you, then you can you can remember, so to speak on a mitochondrial level, mm-hmm. what it meant to have a child taken from you in slavery mm-hmm. and how painful that was mm-hmm. because that stuff is still going on. Yeah. And so now if, according to these new, uh, the new administration's uh, laws and things like that, I mean, it's probably a little bit past that, but you saw where people were saying, hey, I'm coming to America to seek refuge and asylum and help and so forth and so on because this is the land of opportunity. Mm-hmm. This is the you know, this is the place that, you know, they welcome everyone with their open arms and I'm being stopped at the border. Right. And I'm not just being stopped at the border, but now my children are being separated. ripped from me. They're separated from me. You know, mm-hmm. you think about that and you say to yourself, how do you how do you describe to a people who are looking at this and being heartbroken, what that means. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can relate to it because being separated from our families, even for those initial interrogation hours, mm-hmm. which was a day or two, mm-hmm. right? That changed us 
Mm-hmm. That forever crippled our sense of trust in the police department, in the judicial system. That, that, that very real thing that people say as they get older, you know, as, when the cops come behind them, if they ever get pulled over by the side of the road, or if the cops have their lights flashing behind them, and they actually are just passing you to go, <laughs> to go and help someone else. You are like, I'm about to die. Oh, yeah. That sudden fear that, mm-hmm. com- that overcomes you. We already know what that is. Yeah. You know, and one of the great things about, like, this film is that it gives the whole world a very real description on a, on a, on a high level yeah. and on a low level, right, of what it's like to be a black person in America. Mm. So when they see us as about the five but it's about the families. Absolutely. And then it's about America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, one of the more, more, more powerful things that I experienced, especially when we first watched it as a group, was I didn't know everybody's story. Right. I imagined that their story was like mine. You were friends with Corey yes. before. You did not know yes. Raymond Antron and Kevin, Kevin yes. before. Yes. And you did not know no. the other four at all. Yeah, at all. We met each other in prison. Yeah. They made it seem like we just said, hey, man, hey, tomorrow, remember tomorrow, we're going to we gonna go hang out. We're going to go wilding out. tomorrow. Go yeah. That's yeah. our thing. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't even like the vernacular back then. You know, <laughs> right. that was yeah. what? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I mean, come on. But the public, the public <clears throat> bought that. Of course. They, they looked at this. Well, the expectation of black criminality is so great that the notion of Oh, a big group of them went into the park to just beat up people? Like, well, sure, I'll buy that. But see, that's the same thing as the slave code as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so therefore, mm-hmm. and this, is, this is the type of stuff they want to erase, of course. They want to get this, like, no, come on, we're not, this is, this is a new world. You know, we don't criminalize you if there's more of you mm-hmm. on a corner <laughs> talking about politics or uh, the pont- pontificating about the Athag- Pythagorean theorem or something <laughs> like that. You know, like, that's what we could be doing, right? We could literally be, like, on some deep level stuff. It don't matter. And they're looking at us like, no. Oh, sure. Look at them gangbangers. Let's, let's, let's see some ID. Yeah, yeah exactly. Let's see your hands. What's your favorite part of the film? Uh, the ending. Um, wow. When, when everybody, as as uh, when everybody unites in front of the towers, that part. Like once it gets to the Reyes part, it for me it becomes a an emotional moment, but a happy moment. Yeah. You know, because we get to relive the exoneration. We get to relive us standing together, unified, and putting our hands up. That's important. So that becomes that becomes That's the most important, important part for me. Because you know why, too? I, I mean, I'm the same. I'm the same in terms of the, the, the best part of the film. Because that feel-good moment that we continue to experience, like Raymond and I have gone on a speaking circuit and shared in front of audience many, many times. And we've also expressed how... When, when we are doing that, it's a therapy, mm-hmm. right? Don't we tell the folks in the audience? Don't send me no no bills. That's right. <laughs> but it's a therapy, and it's a feel good moment that needs to happen because we were seen as pariahs. Yes, we were seen as the scum of the earth. Yeah. You know, we I still carry around those letters that people wrote us, hate mail that they wanted to kill us. You know, and I think that looking at those those like especially the ending of this film. As many times as we want. 
yeah. becomes therapy all yeah, over. Yeah, you can again. relive it as much as you yeah, want. Yeah, we merge into we it morphs from the actor into the real person, and you see that there's still pain. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a there's curtains of stuff going on, but these guys made it there. there there's there's joy as well in there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that that is a power for me. That's a very very powerful. You know, experience also too to see Corey. I swear, when I when I was watching the ending scene, as a matter of fact, this was before the before I actually saw the ending scene. I was watching a um, one of the trailers, and when I was watching the trailer, there was this scene where uh, Jarrell Jerome was walking across the street, mm-hmm. and I swore that was Corey. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had his walk down, mm-hmm. he had his headphones on. <laughs> I was like, and then it was like one of those moments where you double take. Oh, shucks, that's Jarrell Jerome. He's great. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The Corey I met when I interviewed him several years ago seemed much more broken than perhaps any actor could get to if he hadn't done 13 years. Yeah. Still super institutionalized, bitter, broken, um, you know, just – he could smile, but he radiates pain. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that's why people hard. that's why people love Corey. People love Corey because they they know that like he doesn't even he never has to explain himself ever again in life. Right, right. He can do no wrong. Right. That that's how lovable he is to the world. Right. And for for me in particular, I've always been very sorry that I asked him to come. Now the way the scene happened, you didn't. Did you, you asked him to come, or they told him? No, it it, it happened in a way. The, the scene brings it to life. What right? really happened? What happened was he was at that same chicken store, right? Kentucky, Kennedy Fried Chicken. He was there. Um, I saw him, and I said, "Hey, Polo, right? We're about to go to the park. Come on, let's go hang out in the park." You know. And it was so beautiful, though, because the the wrapping on the glass became a different kind of, hey, come come with us. It became like this thing that is now a nightmare, right? Mm. The beauty of him in the last moments of the series saying, what if I didn't go? That messed me up. That messed me up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that and, and, me and, up. and yeah. of course, because I'm the one that said, hey, come on, let's go hang out in the park, right? Aside from that, the fact that, and, and this is the part, this is a part of the story that's not in the, the series. Corey went into the park and left almost immediately after he got in the park. Wow. And so he was one of the most probably wisest of us, right? Corey Wise, like yeah. like Storm Reed mm-hmm. says, get yeah. it, Corey Wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, he was the most wisest of us. That said, man, yo, this is crazy. I'm out of here. I don't even want to be the deer court in the headlights as a witness to see what's wow. going on. I'm gone. His name wasn't on the list, and that's why. Because he left. But for him to still, like, he still... I came home and we were still hanging out. Hey, man, come on, let's go hang out, let's chill. I got my skateboard with me. That's how I rolled, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then the next thing you know, the police are like, hey, what's your name? I'm like, I'm Yusuf Salam. They look at the sheet. Oh, this is one of the guys we've been looking for. They say, what's your name? I'm Corey Wise. 
they look at the sheet. No, and no, I no. exaggerate sometimes, and I go like they flip the sheet over, yeah. <laughs> look, hold it not up to the, the light. List. They say, "Hey, you're not down. You're not on the list, but you want to go downtown with your buddy. You'll be right back." And so those moments of of, of truth, and also of questioning, like you know, you, you you say to yourself, "How do you have those kinds of conversations with your children?" Mm. And tell them, hey, be careful who you hang out with, or be careful about what's going on and stuff like that. Now you put this in front of them, and they have a real idea of being able to choose. Mm. Well, shoot, if I go left, this may happen. If I go right, this may happen. Mm-hmm. I could still be friends. We mm. could still be cool. If I if I go this way, I don't have to go today. I could still be cool. I, I've done a lot of reading about this. I've talked to all you guys before. Mm-hmm. It seems extremely accurate to my understanding. Is it? Is the is the piece very accurate? Very much so. Very yeah, very, very much. much so. Very this much. piece, this piece, gives life into and new life into our story. Yeah. When I talk in front of audiences, you know, a lot of times I'm I'm there. I got a suit and a tie on. You know, I'm looking polished. Um, I see the disconnect because they're looking at me and I'm giving them wisdom and, 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 and dropping some stuff on them. But they're, they're, the disconnect is, damn, this guy is not, he's, he's, he's he the exception. Yeah, he's he the exception. Yeah, he, right? he got a suit on. He's the exception. Yeah. Now, I'm not wearing a suit because I'm thinking that the suit is going to stop the cops from attacking me. Right? I'm not, I'm, I mean, we all know, Right. Unfortunately, we had that experience uh, through social media. We're not going to mention it. But, you know, everybody that we saw hanging from trees, mm. out, of the, out, of the, out of the totality of those individuals hanging from trees, there was perhaps half of them that had suits on. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And so the reality is that a suit is not going to change the perception of another person's ideas about you. D.L. Hughley said the worst person, the worst place to be the, the worst, I forget how he said it, but he, said, he was talking about the worst thought is to be in the thoughts of a, of a white person in a negative way mm. because they're already shaping your reality just like without even knowing without it. knowing yeah. it's like so we live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I wondered um, your stepmother Mm -hmm. was threatening in the film. Yeah. I'm going to tell your PO that you're dealing drugs. Yeah. Is that real? Did she violate you? No, 100%. Really? Very accurate. accurate. Your stepmother told your parole officer... He's dealing drugs. Take him back. Yeah, knowing I, that would send you back. Yeah. Knowing that that would send me back. I mean, I remember. Why he, would she do that? I remember hearing her on the phone, right? Um, her and my dad would get into arguments over me, right? You know, he got he's bringing girls to the house. You know, he's disrespectful, stuff like that. Um, then I got a girlfriend, and it still was a problem with me bringing the girlfriend to the house. So they would get into these little cat, you know, little arguments and stuff like that. And one day I heard her on the phone, and she was just so upset. Her and my dad had got into an argument about me. And I heard her say, you know what? She was on the phone talking to me. She said, I'm going to call his PO and tell her that he out here, you know, selling drugs. And so I heard it. I went downstairs. I confronted my dad about it. And he said, don't worry about it. She's not going to do nothing. So uh, maybe like a week or so later, I heard it again. She and said it multiple times. She said it more, more than once. And so I went to him again. And he said the same thing. She's not going to do nothing. She's just talking. Until one day I came home and my dad came downstairs and he was like, listen, you know, uh, I went upstairs and she was sitting on the couch talking to your P.O. And I got arrested that night. <laughs> that night. Oh. So And he's still with her? And he's still with her. I mean, he's been How with her. How could he still be with her? He's been with her since 1990. So he's been with her, you know, along. Through all this. Yeah. That's a, that's a relationship solidified. Yeah. But you know what? What I appreciate about that, because I didn't know that. As I was watching the series, When They See Us was always also like a play on us seeing ourselves for the first time, us mm-hmm. seeing each other mm-hmm. for the first time. And I found that truth to be so powerful that that could have been hidden. Oh, no, these guys had a beautiful n- a nucleus around them, you know, no. outside of the world. Yeah, no. But to tell that part of the truth, was important. It was very important because I feel like she could have said, "Well, I'm gonna just keep this," you know. But Ava's, well, but she, Ava's, 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 Ava's a, a genius. She's a yeah. genius, and it's and an amazing piece. But it can't tell everything. It can't. But that part there, amongst other parts, is her also showing the black experience, the brown experience in America. Yeah. How that dynamic happened. Because we talked before, Raymond, about your extended family 
you lost. Yeah. They all did not believe in your innocence. That's right. And that bond was completely broken. That's right. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, yeah. wow. And, and, and so here it was that, okay, my, you know, my uncles, because I came from a big family. My mom's had five, six brothers. My dad had three. And nobody wanted to put a bail money for me to get out. Wow. And so here it was that my family thought I was guilty. But and then now it's somebody in my household mm. who thinks that I'm guilty. Mm. Like this is close. This is how close it has gotten to me. This is how this is this is when the danger is real. Right. I mean, who knows what she could. She could have lied on me and said, oh, he grabbed me or he touched. And that's me. the that's. Oh, right. That's crazy. And she's still in your family to this day. To this day. She's still with him. You know, and I—I I mean, we don't have a relationship. We don't speak or nothing like that. She lives in New York. I'm in Georgia. But she comes to the premiere. She did come to the premiere, though. She did. <laughs> she came to the premiere. The audacity. The, I mean, <laughs> but she got lucky because that night they show episode one and two, so she didn't get to <laughs> so see she three. Didn't have to see her. You know? Yeah, I would have been great to see three because I'd have sat right behind her and just watched. Was really good. Yeah, yeah, but she didn't. <laughs> but she didn't. She didn't see three. She saw it at home. So, wow. so, what? Did, yeah, I mean. Ava's brilliant. She's a genius. But you can't show everything. Yeah. What is missing? Not as a critique. But, right. But, you know, this is a 30-plus year story. We cannot show everything. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you What's what. Missing? I'll tell you what. What's brilliant, and this is, this is just me thinking about it just right now. What's brilliant is that we did the documentary, The Central Park Five. The Ken Burns documentary. Ken Burns Ken documentary. Burns. Yes. And it was a – it was – a brilliant piece of work. It was knocked out of the park. It was beyond, you know, our wildest dreams. It gave us our voices back, yeah. right? And then Ken just threw the ball in the air, lobbed it. Who gonna catch it next? And the chess move that that uh, Raymond played was so masterful, right? Hey, this would be great because we always thought about, damn, it'll be cool to have a feature. Mm-hmm. Or some type of a reenactment of this story, mm-hmm. you know, and that chess move was brilliant, and and here we are now, and I think that wait, what chess move are you referring the, to? So when he when he tweeted, Ava, Ava you tweeted four, tell years, me. four or five right. years ago, yeah, you tweeted yeah. at Ava, two thousand fifteen, after but, Selma, yeah. Because of Selma? Because of Selma. And and what did you tweet? So before that, because you said, um, what's missing? And for me, um, it's 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 the next chapter. I, I feel it's missing. I mean, I, I get it. We couldn't put it in there, but the whole civil suit process. And that's what I was. That's where I was going to get at too. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. That. Yes. That is left over. Yeah. That is left. That is le- that, that, that you you get out, and then we're and and it was. I mean, that was a, that was what we talked about yeah. when you guys talked to me. There was a ten year process. Ten year process that the New York City government was purposefully. Slowing the lawsuit yeah. to screw you, to make you maybe want to go away. Yeah. And finally, Bill de Blasio was like, no, yeah. I'm yeah. going to pay them. Yeah. Even and it, even in that, that, that was, was a brilliant move that, that Ray did, too. What's that? <laughs> so Ray, Ray, Ray had a photo, right, of himself <laughs> as a baby. And he had, like, the afro in the photo. I mean, it was, a, it was such a brilliant thing. I think you said something like yeah. Dante could have been me or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there was a like lot of chess it moves. Dante being Bill de Blasio's son. son. Yeah. yeah, bringing it home, bringing it full circle. You know, there's moments that happened in my in my very real experience um, that 
I'm not I'm not sad didn't make it into this particular version, you know. And the reason why I say that is because like for me, almost all of my prison time was spiritual. Mm-hmm. There was there was like a there was something sacred going on that I recognized that allowed me to even dream and imagine what my life is going to be like when I get out of here. You know, I didn't have to be like always on the defense, although I was always on the defense because I'm in prison. But I had a mom- I had moments in time where I could read a book. I could listen to classical music. I could listen to jazz. I could listen to hip hop. I could act like I'm in front of a crowd, rocking the crowd like the hip hop artist that I wanted to be. You know, there was moments when those things happened. You know, and I think that that part too, in a in a in a different retelling of this story, um, would be bu- would be bu- beautiful and brilliant as well because mm-hmm. it also gives the viewer the the um, the message that you should never give up hope. That when you're walking through hell, you got to keep on going. That you have to take this lemon and make lemonade, and not just say, "Yo, man, I got lemons over here." Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. We'll get back to the interview in one second, but I want to give a shout out to longtime supporter of the show, Saks Underwear, who wants you to check out their Cannonball Swim Shorts, which comes with their patented ballpark pouch. The whole thing with Saks Underwear is it looks great, you put it on, and you forget about it because they take care of you. They keep everything together. You just want underwear that looks good, and you forget about it. It doesn't ride up. It doesn't make you chafe. It doesn't... You have any weirdness, and Saks has got the ballpark pouch that takes care of you. And they have that in the swim shorts and the underwear. That's why it's my favorite underwear. That's why it's all that I wear. They sent me a bunch of pairs, and that's all I've been wearing for months now. It's super comfortable. It's super fun. It's lightweight. It just feels good. And they sent me the Cannonball Swim Shorts, too. They look really good. I've been playing tennis in their two-in-one shorts that are like a short with the underwear. It's just fantastic stuff, guys. Just... Check out Saks Underwear. Shop from anywhere on their site and get $5 off when you use the promo code TORE, T-O-U-R-E, at checkout. So go to SaksUnderwear.com. That's S-A-X-X with two X's, dot com. Use the promo code TORE at checkout and get $5 off a pair of the greatest underwear you'll ever wear. I want to talk about um, the settlement. Mm-hmm. The group got forty-one million. Yeah, Corey because he spent much longer got twelve million. Yeah, and the other four of you got seven million each. Is yes. that accurate? That's accurate. How has the money before the before the attorney fees? Yeah, how much? Yeah, <laughs> don't, 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 don't forget that. Yeah, how much were the attorney fees? Third, Thirty-three and a third percent. Yeah, is the attorney fee a third? A third? A third of the? I mean, I mean, in all actuality, it was easier 
for the attorneys to uh, negotiate their fees than it was to get our settlement. So you got right. like $4 million Something each? like that. Something like that. Okay. So how has it changed your life? I mean, it, it made it worse. I mean, at the end, I mean, it made it great where I can take care of my family. I can move, right? I can provide solitude, safe haven. Um, but it made it worse because people became like, all right, you're the guy who got $40 million. Right. Not the five of us. $40 million man. You. <laughs> yeah, you became the $40 million man. And so the requests become outrageous. And I we, mean, and, and, and in a way, we may not have known how to deal with that, too, because it may have started out with one handout. And you're like, oh, I got a dollar in my pocket, no problem. Yeah. But then it becomes then it's like, like a thousand. Listen, can you, uh, can you loan me uh, money to get a car? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the request becomes so ridiculous. It even goes as far as, College look, I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get back in the game. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, really? You're going to ask me that? After all I've been through, really? Get, really? Get out of here. But that's the part that's, that's wild. And I think, I think— Is it the same for you? It is, but I think what's lost on the people, which is why, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy when folks say, oh, he has 10 children. Because yes, because when <laughs> we you said, before you had six, when we talked yeah, last, you had yeah, six. Yeah, I got I got more. Yeah, wow. yeah. So before you, it was the blessed. it was the blend. So the blend was, you know, my my children that I had with my ex wife, um, who's mentioned in the in the in the film, and her children, my my wife, my current wife's children. Um, that became the Brady Bunch. When we got together, we were instantly the Brady Bunch. What is the age range? Who's how the oldest to the youngest? Oldest twenty three, youngest three. Three how boys, many, six girls. I mean, seven girls. How many live in the house with you right now? It's always about five. It's always about five because we have uh, like four daughters are in New York, um, and the eldest son lives by himself in the Atlanta area as well. And so the others, you know, they live with us and stuff That's like that. Yeah. And how it, many but, kids live with but you? But that balance is there. I have one, but I okay. have two kids that live with me. Yeah. Okay. Because my girl, she has a daughter. But that, that so thing, has the money made it worse for you too? I mean, yes and no. I mean, it is that idea. Like, this is what I was going to say before. Folks make the mistake of thinking that we won the, uh, we won the lottery. Yeah. They're not thinking that. Oh, these guys won pain and suffering. Everything that was taken from them, we're trying to pay back. They're not thinking that. They're not thinking that, oh, shucks, they didn't pay their parents anything. They didn't give their sisters and brothers a dime, meaning the city. Didn't give the families who were also broken and messed up by this, who lost jobs, who were vilified. They didn't give them anything, right? And so they're thinking, I'm just one person, Axon. He got it. Yeah. Without realizing we should never be asked. It's actually disrespectful to ask a person who's been through what we've been through for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you know, um, we the, the struggle to put our lives back. Is so profound. That. I've even gone as far as to say, you know, we need laws enacted where anybody who's been wronged by the criminal justice system, 
and I'm going to call it the criminal justice system this one last time because I always call it the criminal system of injustice. Mm-hmm. But anybody who's been wronged by them, they shouldn't have to pay taxes. Mm. Like when they go grocery shopping, when they go here, you have to pay taxes there, on, the get, on, the, on the You don't have settlement? to pay taxes on the settlement, mm. but now you also have to participate in the market, right? So of course. those things, it's like these individuals were wronged by us. Yeah. We, they shouldn't have to pay tax. Well, the, the other thing that you didn't get, because you got you got a check, you did not get an apology. Didn't get an apology. No individual was held uh, accountable. Correct. No right. change was made. This could happen again today. Yeah. yeah. How does it feel like to not get an apology? Does that bother you? That, that bothers me, and that's a slap in the face. That adds insult to injury because here you are saying we're going to pay you some money. So that you can go away. Yeah. Be quiet and sit over there and go on the beach and sip my ties. But if you're going to do that, then you'll be quiet also. Right? If you're going to pay us, then don't have Linda Fairstein still coming out talking junk. She's very loud. Very loud. Yeah. What do you want to happen to Linda Fairstein? (laughs) It's above me now. <laughs> do you want to see her disbarred, Listen, canceled? I mean, what do you What do you want? What I, What I want folks to understand is that Linda Fairstein, Donald Trump, Elizabeth Lederer, um, they all represent ideas. Mm-hmm. Those are the ideas of what America is supposed to be, right? And so people want the American dream, but just like Malcolm X said, you know, we woke up to the American nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, and so at the end of the day. You have a system in place where, just like the founding documents of this country through the 13th Amendment says that slavery is abolished except for the punishment of a crime, you got to, like, step back and say, that sounds kind of strange. Wait, hold up. They're talking about our ancestors. Mm -hmm. They're talking – they're saying that we can bring back a very disgusting practice Mm – for the punishment of a crime, right? And who who are those subjects? Those subjects are black and brown people. And so as we look at the makeup of the prison industrial complex today, we see that overwhelmingly black and brown. it's black yeah. and brown folk. What, yeah, do you, so what do you want to happen to Linda listen, At the end of the day, she deserves to pay for her crimes. And whoever the public sees fit is what they're going to carry out. All I'm going to do is grab my popcorn Sitting in front of the TV, and I'm going to watch. I might, you know, laugh. I might laugh at certain things. I might say that's bad, but it is what and it is. And they bring this is see so the thing is they brought this on themselves. It's one thing to say I did my job, but this is a completely different thing when you know that there are obvious. Did you, she know? Did know, she know? I think so. I, and you know why? Did I she think know so? what? Did she know what? That that she should not have been. Pushing this Absolutely. case, that she didn't have the evidence, that she shouldn't have been 100, pushing 1, this. One hundred, one thousand percent. As as a prof, as a professional, as as the head of the sex crimes unit, you are the leader. And once that DNA evidence comes back and it's no match, hair samples, footprints, uh, handprints, blood, uh, saliva, everything, you, our clothes, you take everything, and once it comes back and there's no match, you as a prosecutor had a duty to say, you know what, let me take a step back. And reevaluate. Even come back to us and say these statements don't match. The DNA doesn't match. The statements were all over the place. Yeah. What, what's missing here? You didn't tell us something. 
There was none of that. Now this isn't this isn't this isn't a um, what's the word neophyte. She's not new, right? She's not brand new, right. and, I, and I say that on purpose, right? Right. This is a seasoned person who's risen up a ladder and a chain of success. Mm-hmm. Just like the detectives in our case, they were the elite of the police department. You could not be a part of this elite department of New York City unless you had at least 20 years on the job. And so I mention that because when folks say, oh, they were just doing their job, no. They, they, no. they're not making the connection between experience, right? The experience of this person is lying. So you think these people, the interrogators, Letterer, Fairstein, they kind of knew? They all knew. They, they don't think I don't think they raped that girl, but I think that they, they did something. I think because she they, believes that you did something. She and I think that something. that truth is a truth that they have always stood by. Right. However, the end of, like if I got beat up by someone. Now they say witness identification is faulty and all that other stuff, but there are things that you remember. That night, I had on what looked like a white outfit. I had a sky blue jacket, sky blue jeans, and I had art written all down my legs. You know how people did back in the days. You know, I had art stuff. I still have these pants at home. Just got it returned from my attorney's office. You know, so I got artwork written down my legs. I'm 6'2", almost going on 6'3". I only grew another inch or so, you know. And so I'm visible. I'm easy. I got a flat top. I'm like, that guy did it. It's easy to pick me out of a crowd, Right. When those individuals that got assaulted picked the people the who bikers. assaulted them, the bikers, the jogger, not the fem- not the not, Central Park jogger, but right. the other joggers, yeah. picked people out of, out of lineups, those individuals went to jail. For those crimes. For those crimes. They admitted. They said, I did that. They said, you know what? Okay, you caught me. I did it. They never became known as the Central Park Five. And so uh, uh, equal disservice to the public watching this vicariously through the media is they're reading information and saying, oh, they just said, well, the reason why they didn't do it, maybe they didn't do the rape, was because they was beating up other people. Like, the notion that the system is infallible has to be maintained. Mm. We do not go after people unless they are actual culprits. But the system says, innocent until proven guilty. Except if you are a black or brown person. Right. right. Well, part of your legal problem was that in the station house, in the precinct, you admitted things that you didn't do. That's right. Why did you admit to doing things that you did not do? Because of the pressure. The pressure uh, of of seasoned veteran detectives and a 14-year-old kid. And when you look at that dynamic, that dynamic the playing field is unleveled. There's no, th- what this, were they doing? Uh, good cop, bad cop. Um, Did they hit you? They they uh, rushed me like they was going to hit me. You know, like they put the fear in me. I mean, it wasn't just one incident. It was two or three incidents where the interaction with the police is like, what the fuck are you looking at? Right? And as a 14-year-old kid, you're like, oh, shit, let me put my head down. And they lied to you? Yeah, and then they lied this to is, you, and, is, and it keeps going. But this is 15 to 30 hours. You were interrogated for 15, 15 hours? 15, no, over. For 15 to 30 hours of interrogation. No food? No food. No drink? sleep. No drink. Just constant pounding. Meaning meaning the uh, the mental of 
you know, the good cop, bad cop. Did they tell you what to say? Well, yes, they did. They What they did was once they got me to a state of me being broken, right? And, for instance, he says, uh, Hardigan says, listen, Ray, this woman lost a lot of blood. We don't know if she's going to make it. She has all these injuries around her head, her, you know, her face. And um, something had to be used, a rock, a brick, a pipe, something. So at that moment, he's giving me options. Yeah. Right? And me figuring out a lie, I say a brick. Hmm. Because was, I'm, I'm not even thinking about it. Was there a voice in your head saying, I didn't use a brick? I didn't see any But it wasn't me saying a, it's me saying a brick, but not me using a brick. Yeah, but there was that. Me that, blaming it was somebody a, it was else. absolutely like a straight up split brain. I mean. What do you mean? Literally, like you just said, the only way I can describe it in that reality is that you br- you're you're broken to a degree of I need this to stop the pressure, the pressure. You know, there's a scene. It becomes that it, much great. Yeah, there's a scene in the in the in the series where um, there's two scenes like this. One is when uh, Antron's character gets up and he's still handcuffed to the chair. Yeah, and he's like pulling the chair, saying, "I didn't do this. I didn't do this, Ma. I didn't do this." You know. And, of course, that interaction. But there's a scene, I think, with your character. He's handcuffed to a chair as well. And he, he he's like, nothing is really being stated about that. But if you watch it, you start saying to yourself, what if he needed to just itch? He can't. What if he needed to... You know, what if the officers are that close to him and they're spitting in his face and he needs to wipe his face off? He can't. Can't. Right. And so this restriction is part of the read technique, getting in your face and making you uncomfortable, making you feel like we are going to kill you. Yeah, All helpless. of that stuff is part of the read technique. The what technique? The R-E-I-D, read technique. Read technique. The read technique. They take this, 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 this stuff comes with a disclaimer that says, be careful who you use this tactic on because it will cause innocent people to confess to crimes that they didn't commit. Because people always say, well, how, how could a person confess to a crime they didn't commit? They've never, been in, they've never been in that process. What happened to you? With me? Yeah, in that. In that yeah. I kept saying, they, they, they over and over again asked me, tell me what happened in the park. And I would, I would exhaustively describe everything from start to finish to me hopping the turnstile. That was the only crime I committed that night. And they would... After I told it a few times, they would say, hold on, where did you get the jogger? What jogger? What are you talking about? You know? And up until a point where it was like, don't even worry about it. I don't know if this is in the, in the series, but there was a part where they said very in the, in, the, in, in the truth. They said, you don't even have to tell us nothing. We got your hands on the, on the joggers. We got your fingerprints Close. on the joggers' clothes. But you had to be like, what are you and talking I'm, about? I didn't touch that's any exactly woman. what I said. And, and, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, did I touch something? Like I'm on I'm Mission Impossible now. And I'm thinking Mission Impossible. Did I touch something? Did they graph my fingerprints and put like how did my fingerprints get on? Because I'm thinking they're telling me the truth. truth. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And they can lie to you. And they don't they never read me with the Miranda. There's a moment You signed a Miranda card? I signed a Miranda card. There's a moment when they come back in the room. And they say to me, how old are you again? And I said, I'm, I told you guys I was 15. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, man, here, sign this Miranda card. And didn't, it's brilliant. Didn't, like didn't in the read scene, you your Miranda rights. Didn't read me. I mean, like, 
at the end of the day, even if they read me my rights, I wouldn't have understood. No. Right. I right. needed to right. get that information before. Like, we need that but kind of civics lesson. you didn't sign anything. No, I never made you a written signed, or, or I mean, You confession. signed a confession that is not true. That's true. You did not. Right, I did not. Yeah. Why, you said, why did you not So part of that sign. scene, part of the brilliance of the scene in When They See Us is how it happened, right? Ava gave a visual life to that description. Your mom My mom came in. in. Now, my mom wasn't walking around the precinct, and, you know what I'm saying? But my mom was like, you do not have my permission to speak to my son. Right. All along, they're telling her, we're not speaking to your son. But they were. But they were trying to break me. They were in there going. They, I was being interrogated. Yeah. How long? And I, kept, I don't even remember because, you know, we're in a room where we don't have any windows. We're, it's that drab color on the wall. And you could also hear. And I could hear Corey getting beat up in the next room. You could hear Corey Not only Wise did I hear him up. getting beat up. Knowing how, like, Corey is a strong. He, you see his strength in the film. Yeah. But Corey is not just strong in his spirit. Corey was a guy who, if you had to go to war, not his battle, he's going to war on your side. Tough guy. Tough guy. Not, not to be a tough guy. Not a bully, but... Not a bully, but, but, but I'm, I'm not just going to let you beat my friend up. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to be like, oh, let me take out my camera phone and Snapchat this. So when you, know? so when you hear Corey... Getting beat up. Yell out... I am what did you hear? terrified. What did you hear? I heard him specifically say, okay, okay, I'll tell you. Really? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. They're coming into my room, and they're looking at me and telling me that I'm next. So part of, part of and this is, this is um, part of the reason, I think, why I never made a written or videotaped confession. Because they were working on him. They were beating him up. They were breaking him into submission. And then by the time they came back to me, you see what I'm saying? That, that process was stopped and stalled by my mom. Okay. That's how deep that part is. Okay. So the background to that, that scene is all of that other stuff. Even That you would have gotten it if your mom was not hanging I, around I, the— I, I truly believe that. Yeah. I truly believe—I think that there's a beauty in life that I didn't make a written videotape, a written statement or videotape confession. Because I think that it, 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 it shows how messed up this whole thing is. Two things— one is you have four false confessions. The other is you have one who never made a false confession. The other dynamic is one of the four who made a false confession wasn't a suspect. And he made more than one. And he made more than one. He made more than one statement. He made multiple statements. He made multiple like statements. Physically coerced. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's crazy when you think about all of that stuff. So the culpability is in... The system making the mistake of saying we have to solve this crime and solve it quickly. Yes. But, hey, we could do it even better. We can appease the fears of the public by rounding up. Like it's more sexy for it to be a group. Yeah. Right? 
It doesn't look like a group, but we're going we're gonna to make it a group. They, we're going to keep the fear, the public's fears there, yeah. but arrested at the same time. They, 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 they brought in many people Absolutely. who had gone into the park that Absolutely. night. That's true. And it just whittled down to the five of you, but it could have been. No, it was more. It, it didn't whittle down yet. Initially, like there's the, the famous photo of, the, of everybody at the courtroom table, black and white photo. It was the Central Park Seven. Yeah. There were seven defendants. And then when the first trial happened, one of them had already gotten, was able to get out of the trials, uh, Michael Briscoe. And then they, they split the trials in half. And it was... it Who's was they? The system. They said... Because that part the f- in the, that part in the, the film... Prosecutor. Right, the prosecutor, where the prosecutor says, we have to find the right mix. Right. That's what they were doing. They so the broke... S- so, because Ava portrays it as your attorneys said we want to separate, but you're saying no, no the system, the, the, the city, system, yeah, but the city is also them. seen in there too, where he says he tells her, he, uh, um, Antron's lawyer tells uh, Letterer, good job on getting the trial separated. You know, what I'm saying like, you know, don't act like he's doing us a favor. We know what you're doing exactly. because it was just about getting the right mix, right, to say okay, we can take these three to trial and then these two can go after, and yeah. then Stephen Lopez was going to go last. Because he's another one who never made any statements. His right. father stopped it. So they had no evidence on him either. And even even in his story, you know, we've always told Steve, like, he could be a part. He could have he sued with us. Because even in his story, when, we, when the first trial happened and we lost, he got so frightened. We were all frightened. But he got so frightened because of the, the uh, whispering of what these, this conviction means. Oh, these these cases, I'm sorry, these charges, if they're being charged as adults, they carry three and a third to ten years per charge. And so if they charge us as adults, we would have gotten six and two-thirds to 20 years, some of us. That would have yeah. been the minimum. That would have been you know? the minimum. And so he's like, yo, man, let me just cop out to something that I didn't do. And he copped out to so robbery I could just So I could be home in a year. Yeah. He wanted doing three years. Yeah. He copped up to a robbery charge. Yeah. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. 
Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. There's so many there's layers. So many, I, I just, there's so many people who would say, I would never tell the cops I did something that I didn't do. Hmm. I would never tell the cops he did something that he, I knew he didn't do. Mm-hmm. But they have never been in your shoes. That's right. So well, not only what, that, do they, what do they not understand it's the experience. They gotta have that experience. It's that the experience, experience is what is gonna teach them best. There's I mean, a film. You know, go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean people get pulled over and you get pulled over by a police officer and you get angry or you get afraid. It's due to the experience. Yeah. Right? If you had an interaction with them before, you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. You might get both, say, here's my license, here's my registration, give me my ticket and keep it moving. Right? Or a person who never had that might be like, Oh, I'm afraid. Am I gonna die today? It's due to experience. Yeah. They have an experience. What's it like to be in an interrogation room for 15 to 30 hours and the cops are just constantly pounding on you? You know what I'm saying? If you're an adult, they physically put their hands on you. Yeah. If you're a child, then it's all psychological. That's psychological thing. psychological. And they keep coming in. It doesn't stop. It continuously keeps going on for hours and hours and hours. And at the end of the day, all you wanted to do is stop. So in my case, I knew I was lying. But I just want the pressure to stop. You can figure that shit out later on that I'm lying. I don't care right now. I want to go home. I just want to go home. I want this shit to stop. Did they they keep promising you you can go home if you say Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's I mean you, you see the scene in the in the, in, the, in the series where Detective Hardigan, you know, he shows me the picture of Kevin Richardson. He says, "Do you know him?" And I say, "No." And he says, "Well, this is Kevin Richardson. You see that scratch in his eye? That came from a woman." We know he going to jail, but I don't want you to go to jail. So I need your help on this. And at that point, I don't know this dude. I don't care. I'm going to lie because I just want the pressure to stop. You can figure it out later on. But right now, we're going to end this. And and, and that's how it becomes. And then you get the promise of, if you help me, I can help you. Right? I don't know these guys. Never seen them before. Right? If he would, like I said in in the Ken Burns doc, if he would have gave me 100 names, Mm. I would have had 100 people at the crime scene, right? But he didn't. And, and I think I think the part that was kind of lucky for us is that they didn't have all the facts, right? Stuff was coming in as they was working on us. So here was that he gave me the options, right? Because he, they probably knew that somebody had a pipe. So it was a rock, a brick, a pipe. And then I said it was a brick. And that brick winds up making the cover of Newsday <laughs> during the trial. This is the brick that was That's used. That's crazy, yep. This is how it went. If you see in Corey's confession, he sits there and he's telling the he's telling about, you know, what happened to the jogger, and then they give him a photo. They give him a photo of the jogger. So now he actually can see the the injuries that she sustained. And then he starts to make up a lie to coincide with the injuries in that photo. And even the DA says, listen, Corey, don't lie to yeah, me. I'm not you telling just, you to lie. Yeah, I'm don't lie to me because you just want to please me. Yeah. Tell me the truth. So at that moment, you know he's lying to you. That's why you're checking him yeah. in the videotape statement. But people just didn't look at that. There's a piece in there where Corey is like somebody was slicing her up. Yeah, I saw cutting her legs up with a knife. With a knife, just slicing, slicing, We know slicing. that's a lie. Yeah, they don't have no, no cut. There's no yeah, cut. There's not, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. It's, it's like... It's physically, if you watch those, those tapes, you can see the leading, right? And, and so when you talk to guys like Saul Kasson, who's a confession expert, yeah. that's what they see. Yeah. They can sit there and analyze these tapes and go, look, she's leading them. She's giving him the information right on tape. 
But the general public, you know, they're not aware of that. They're not that savvy. They don't catch it. All they hear is that, yeah, we did it. That's technology. When you hear Yusuf talk about his mom was in the precinct and that helped him. Mm -hmm. And your dad and your family was not there for you in the same way. Do you blame your dad? Do you hold on to some anger or some questions for you? Like, damn, why couldn't you have just been there for me? Like, I needed you. I was 15. Like, well, no, I, I can't. I don't blame him because he was also naive. Never had no, you know, has no, he doesn't have a criminal history. Never had no dealings with the cops. He worked at the same job for 44 years. I mean, they told him we was going to receive death appearance tickets in family court, right? We was charged with misdemeanors. And so his mind was like, okay, let my grandmother stay, take him home. I'll deal with him when I get home. And, um, you know, she just had a language problem. Like she couldn't, she couldn't carry a conversation in English. So they had to keep translating every couple of lines mm. until it just became frustrating. But it was like, all right, you know what? Just take her out the room. And that's what they did. They got her out the room and then they was able to work on me. So I didn't, I wasn't upset at him because... You know, he was misled also. He was misled, and, and that stuff— Where was your mother? My mom said, uh, at the moment, at that time, she was sick. And then years later, she passed away when I was in prison, you know, from cancer. So, you know, and they were separate. So she was living in the Bronx, and I was living in Harlem with him. Um, what, what, did you, what did you do in the park that night? Hang out with friends. Be a follower. Really, originally, we was going over to the Schaumburg because— there were some nice girls over there that we wanted to see, right? And um, and so that's really what it was. Like, I came from I came from the east side of Spanish Harlem, and so I had friends in the projects close next door to them, and really that's what it was about. Let's go over to Schaumburg. Let's go see them girls that's over there, you know. And you see me in the film doing all this. Oh, that man. was Ray, right? And 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 we was like, all right, let's go over there. And so we went to the Schaumburg, and we used to hang out. Because there's the tall towers and then there's the duplex. And they had a lot of girls that lived in the duplex. So we would go to the duplex. And on this night, we came around towards the towers. And they was all outside, but I didn't know them. Yeah. But there was mutual friends. This is Harlem. Sure. You know, and that's how we wound up standing out in front of the Schaumburg. So you were not or were you part of, because when the bikers come through... Right. I didn't and, see that. And a different jogger. Yeah. Got, got little little mess. Nothing major, but a little mess. Like, you were not part of no, that. No, because what happened was that when we entered the you park. You didn't see that? I didn't see that. When we entered the park, uh, there was, we got to this hill. And guys was on the hill, and uh, a, 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 a squad car came, and they flashed their lights at everybody. And back then, kids just ran. Right. Right? That right. was the thing. Oh, let's go. Everybody just scattered. Right. And during that time of us scattering, and I'm trying to find the guys that I came with, that's when that stuff took place. The yeah, bike, I saw that. The, I saw the, the that. I saw the bike. People on the tandem bike. You saw. I did see that. What did you see? And what I saw was that they were just riding through. And it, it was crazy because in my mind, like I, when I look back at it, I think the fear level of the bikers was so heightened that they were like, we're just going to run. We're going to. We're just going to go fast and go through and knock people down. We're just going to do that. You know, so like the me in the in the scene, I'm kind of like, oh, whoa, yo, what they doing? You know, because that's really what happened. 
You know, so they, now their description they of, approached the group with fear, right? Because it was a group then, that then led the group to be like, "You are disrespecting." No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. So I don't know what was happening in the front of the group. Okay. What I saw where I was at towards the towards the rear was that they were. We got to go through this and run anybody over. Oh, they had already been getting whatever. I don't know what that. We got to get out of here because what? 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 But you didn't see. I didn't see see a crime. No, I didn't see a crime because what she described. I think she was one of the people that was in the witness stand, even in the film, the series. She says, "Oh, they were making these animal noises." Yeah, and and they try to like like pull her, like they were trying to reach at her and stuff, you know. Yeah. So I'm like, I didn't see nothing. In my mind, I'm like, oh, she just almost ran me over. Let me get out of her way, you know? Because I'm still 15, and I'm hanging out. Just I'm not thinking, oh, people are bugging. They're, they're doing some crazy stuff. I'm just like, oh, this is fun. We're hanging out in the park. We're free, so forth and so on. And the next thing you know, you start seeing other stuff. Like I saw the bum getting beat up. Okay. And I remember with my vantage point, I was looking, and I kept saying to myself, damn, this is crazy. And I literally either, I think I looked to my left or my right, and there was somebody sitting down eating food from the group. Craziest scene in the world. Guy getting beat up over here. I'm standing maybe 100 feet away, and a guy is sitting down near me eating food. And I said, yo, where'd you get that food from? Not like I wanted some. I was just just like, it was shocking. Like, where'd you get that food from? And he's like, I got it from the bum. That, oh, wow. Now I was disgusted right, right, because right, right. homeless people get food out of trash cans. <laughs> right. And not like, not like I'm going to take this bag and wrap it nicely and place it in. No, they, you know, if you finish your meal, you're just like chucking the burger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was disgusted by that. I couldn't believe that. I was like, this is nasty. <laughs> you know? But the wild part, too, is as the scenes continued, like, you know, some of the guys throwing rocks at cars, you know, um, when it, witnessing those things was just so mind-boggling. Like you're watching these things unfold. And like I said, Corey, at some point, I don't know when, he's like, I'm out of here. He leaves. But I stayed. And so I have a re- I, my memory of seeing different things is there to my, to my um, advantage. I didn't do anything to anybody. You know, and if I did, they would have been like, "I remember that guy with six the white, foot two, six foot two white outfit play. with drawings yeah. on his pants, <laughs> kid and play hair." That exactly. Guy. Yeah. Very. I mean, and you know, who do you know? Who said wild thing? I don't. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, Ooh. they have me. They have me in the series saying it. Um. But it wasn't wilding. It right. was like, oh, they wilding out. T- Tone Loke. Yeah, no, no, no. not even Tone Loke. Because we didn't listen. I didn't listen to Tone Loke. Okay. We was more like the, the vernacular. He's talking about the, 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 vernacular. the way that we say it. Yeah. What were you wilding. saying? Like, wilding. Wilding yeah. out. Yeah. Not wilding. Yeah. Wilding. Like, yeah. And it could be it could be applied to anything. Yeah. Sure. Like, if you're talking crazy, oh, he's wilding out. He sound crazy. Sure. That's what it was. It's not, it, they went, the, the police. And the prosecutors went fasting, and they put a, a, a meaning to it. Wilding means black and Hispanic kids rampaging. 
That's not what it meant. Beating, yeah. raping, yeah. pillaging, pillaging. Yeah. anybody they see. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what they said. But that was never the case. Um, and it could have, you know, I mean, it could have been told to the detectives, and and they they misinterpreted, it and then they just gave it their own meaning, and that was it. I mean, you use the word evil to talk about Linda Fairstein and how she was approaching the events of that evening. Why use the word evil? Because that's what her spirit was, and maybe still is. You know, I went to, um, we, we screened the Central Park Five in Martha's Vineyard. The Ken Burns piece? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, we screened the Central Park Five Martha's Vineyard. Drove up there with my family, and my wife was like, yo, there's a cop following us. Like, this is on the island. Really? And I'm not thinking of anything of it. I'm like, oh, I'm at Radio Shack, and all of a sudden, this same cop pops up. And then I'm like, over here, and that same cop pops up. And so we screened the film, and we're before, – before we screened it, one of the conveners says to me, you know, we got a call from Linda Fairstein's camp that said, don't show the film. But we're showing the film. Like, that makes us want to show the film even more, wow. you know. I mean, Ken Burns doesn't make trash. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, so, You know, what, I, don't, I don't understand this. You know, they show the film. And this must have been the people's first time really getting a real taste for what happened in this case. I mean, the people's energy was so vibrant. I thought I was in a room filled with people from Harlem, Mm -hmm. from Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. from the Bronx, from Queens. It was like a New York vibe. And it was angry. It was like, I can't believe this. As a matter of fact, I stopped at one point and I said, I feel... Is something going on here? Like, you know, this is strange. You know, and I mentioned it. And somebody said, we're friends of Linda Fairstein. Like, she's our neighbor. We didn't know she did this. We want to go from here and pick it in front of her house wow. right now. Wow. This is what the people at Martha's, this, you know. And so when I think about, like, when I look back as an adult, you know, she, Elizabeth Letterer, these these folks weren't just doing their jobs. They were almost like they had a vendetta. Man, they went above and beyond. Like, especially with me and, you know, b- being in the courtroom. So Letterer was the assistant district attorney. Fairstein was her boss. Mm-hmm. So I had very little contact with Fairstein in the courthouse. Letterer was the one pushing a needle, right? Mm-hmm. Her anger and hatred towards me was I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know what was going on. And I kept trying to digest and process, why does she hate us so? You know? And part of it was the way I was talking. I remember getting on the witness stand. So I'm not, in the series, I'm not on this witness stand. But on the, in, in real life, I actually got on the witness stand. And I'm talking like how I normally would talk. Without realizing that I made the, I made a very big mistake. Which is? Getting on the witness stand thinking that I had enough mental capacity to mount a proper defense. <laughs> because in the eyes of the public, right, she's shaping the narrative. She's controlling the reins. Hey, Yusef, what were you doing in the park? I was hanging out with some friends. Did you go to the park to have fun? Duh. Of course we went to the park to have fun. 
the public is listening to this in the in 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 in, in the results of what happened and saying, "Oh shucks, he's he's telling on himself." Yeah, he went to the park to have fun. right, and I'm not even thinking fun. about this, right? Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, she says, "Well, did you have your uh, did you have a basketball with you? Did you have a uh, did you have some baseball shorts?" You know, like, did did you have some basketball shorts? Did you have some sneakers on? You know? Yeah. And I'm like, what, what is she? Is I'm about? not even aware. You don't see the chest move. That she's moving. Right, right, right. right. She's setting me up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I didn't even come back with, what are you, what, are, what the hell are you talking about? We don't play basketball with sneakers. We play it with Timberlands on <laughs> and jeans. Like, I'm not even savvy enough at that point to realize she's setting me up. She's using my words and flipping them. Because I'm thinking, oh, like, like even now when I talk about the dynamic of a, a, an 11 year old being able to hang out with a 20 year old, that doesn't happen. No, that's not nothing. That's not normal. Right. But in this particular instance, there were people as young as 11 hanging out with people as old as 20, and part of our fascination as younger people to go with a group of people that were older without knowing anything about what's going to happen was that we were thinking that we were finally going to be able to see what made the OGs special. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Every young person wanted to see, man, what makes, you know, Torrey cool like that? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, how does how, he get his magic, mm-hmm. you know? And finally being able to share time with you, you see it. Oh, wow, you know, got to be this or that or, you know. And so I think that that dynamic is lost on the public as well. One thing that that Ken Burns captured that when they see us doesn't quite capture is the sense in New York City of surely they are guilty. Right. I mean, there's this incredible moment in the Ken Burns doc when they get that old footage of Ed Koch. Yeah. And he says the word alleged. Yes, I remember that. Like, like they tell me I have to say alleged, but we all know they did. So the mayor is on TV saying they're quote unquote alleged. And, And nobody, virtually nobody in the city was pushing back against the narrative. No, not at all. You know, we got... So, I mean, Fairstein, and not to have any sympathy for them, but Fairstein and Lederer are taking the energy, the phone calls, the vibe of the city, one of the great young white women of the city from the financial district has been deeply harmed. People feel like they can't jog in Central Park. These five black maniacs did it. Get them under the prison as fast as possible. But I think it was more than that. I think it was more than that. And, and the reason why I'm saying that I think it was more than that is because they needed a caliber of person mm-hmm. to like like Linda Fairstein to do what was done, just like they needed a caliber of judge. Like in the series, you, you see where they say um, to my attorney, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you How long have you been an attorney? Like it's kind of like a play on it. But then they're like, oh, he doesn't know the process. He doesn't know what happens. No. He says what usually happens is that they put the judge's names in, the wheel. in this wheel. They spin the wheel. Random. And then it's just random. They pull one out. Yeah. And he says time. they didn't do that with That's this right. case. They needed a judge to to overlook the mistakes. You know? As a matter of fact, the judge has been – I mean this is in the series as well. He's sent so many people to Rikers Island that they call it Galligan's Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he was just that kind of a judge. 
you know. And even he spoke so, out later on, and he was behind the same narrative. Yeah. They're guilty. Yeah. So it was this. It was this. 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 Uh, across the board, you know. This. Uh, this stance amongst them, right? That they all banded together, and they say, "Yeah, these guys are still guilty." I mean, even the judge says it. Are you? Do you have? Do you have anger toward the jury? No, I don't. At the end of the day, they was fed a false narrative. They was they were the ones who uh, was influenced by the media. They they sat and they got to read these papers, these articles that were written about us, dissecting our lives. They said that they thought that the confessions were coerced, and even still voted to convict. Well, if you see um, in in the in the Ken Burns piece, Ron Gold, he tells you himself. He tells you how pressure. Right. This isn't even an interrogation room. This is his peers, how they're calling him a rat. And he's holding up the process and everybody wants to go home. What are you doing? I want to get to my kids, my family. Hurry the fuck. And he caves. And this is a grown man who caves under pressure. Right. We caved under 10 times worse than that. And you're half his age. Half his age. Right. And this grown man, he caved and me and him had a conversation. We both was on um, on the CNN one time. We both was on CNN and we had a conversation and he told me, he said, Ray, the reason why he was the only person who saw it. He said, it's three different stories here. You have a story. Antron has a story. Yusuf doesn't even have a story. Right. Right. He never made a statement. If I believe you, then I can't believe them. You didn't know where it happened. Exactly. He says, so I'm the only person who sees this? Yusuf didn't even have a statement. So how how can I believe he did anything? See, this is it. When people say, I would never, but you are leaving out group dynamics. Yeah. You sitting alone in your kitchen or your car, you can't <laughs> tell me they're the same person when 10 or 12 people are standing around you and saying, I see the opposite and I need you to change your mind so that we can all move on. That's right. And that's right. That is extraordinarily powerful. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing happens in the next trial. Yeah. In the in the ABC special, it was a woman who said she wished that she held out. But she was the one. She was the wrong goal of that trial. So it happens, you know. And, and, and that's what we ask people. You think that, you know, unless you have that experience, you will fold. People fold under less, small things. Less. You got some guys who fold because of their wife. They come home. Where was you at? Shit. Uh, I was at the bar. I had a couple of drinks. I'm sorry. And, and, and she might have even put, she just gave you the look. Oh, shit. The look is enough. Hey, oh, sh- all right. This all right, was, fine. All right, fine. fine. I, had, I, was, I had three oh, drinks. You're right. Oh, That's hilarious. <laughs> look, look, when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, I was in high school. Yeah. You were in prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lost your childhood. Can you get it back? No. Can you no, that's something that balance out your life in some way? You, or you, just... can, you can live life. You can live full and die empty now. Whereas before, you didn't even know. You didn't have any. I mean, your, your highest aspirations may have been to, you know, man, yo, I heard, I heard, um, I heard Karis one of them was about to drop their next joint tomorrow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's going to be crazy. I mean, you don't, you don't have like. You know what? Tomorrow, I need to put the business plans in place to become an architect. Like I, I had a dream of becoming an architect because I'm, I'm a graphic designer. But 
the details of that, no, that wasn't there. You know, so, you know, the biggest aspiration in reality might have been, man, I want to, man, I got to nail that ollie with my skate. You know, when I do this skateboard trick tomorrow, I'm going to be good. You know, I'm going to show, I'm going If Matias Reyes had not come forward on his own, mm-hmm. out of the blue, to say, I'm sorry, it was actually me, yes. and I can prove it, if that had not happened, you would have gone to your grave saying, I didn't do it, this and history true. would have remembered you as having done it. Not Go only for. that, and Corey probably would have been still in prison. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that because Corey was given a 5 to 15 year prison sentence. However, he just revealed to me the other day that Pataki had just changed the laws. They were trying Pataki, they, they, yeah, they wanted to Yeah, they wanted to change the, the sex governor. offender yeah. laws. So, uh-huh. for, so for folks who were charged with the most heinous crimes— they wanted it to be left to the um, parole board whether they would get out or not. And so a lot of times you may hear him say, I had a 15-to-life sentence. And that's what he means by And that. that's what he means by And that. even if yeah. he got out, Pataki was also trying to change the sex offender laws where you had to register for life. For life, yeah. Right. So we would have been registering for life. Yeah. So where were you? When, were, had you come home from your second bid? When Matias yeah. Reyes started talking? Yeah, I was on my third bid because um, I had a parole violation, and they gave me two and a half years for that. So you got four years for dealing drugs and then two and a half? Well, no, I had the two and a half first because I came home from the seventh. They gave me a parole violation, a curfew violation, and they gave me two and a half years for that, right? <sighs> and I wound up doing 20 months. And then I came back, and then uh, and then I got the drug couldn't drug. find work. Couldn't find work. I didn't have to fill out an application to deal drugs. It was right there. It was simple, <laughs> right? All you had to do was know a little bit of math, right? <laughs> and so I went that route, and then I, I, I got arrested. And um, and I knew I was guilty at that point. So it wasn't about fighting the system. It was about negotiating, right? And so I negotiated to get a three-and-a-half, seven-year sentence because it was I was considered a, a predicate felon. Right. And so um, they was trying to give me more time. And so I negotiated and got that because I said I can come back off of this. I have another chance. So I was in my fourth year when Mateus Reyes came forward. I was in Franklin Correctional, which is about nine hours from New York. So you were still inside? I was still inside. Yeah, I was still inside. And your dad called you? I called my dad. So what happened was they brought me back down to Downstate Correctional, which is the processing center. And they, it was these detectives. And they're trying to question me about all the jogger stuff. And I was just like, nah, this don't even sound right. Like, you know. Why are we talking about why this? Why are we talking about this? And they're trying to run some 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 lame excuse. And we're trying to change juvenile laws. And so I said, all right, well, let's see where this goes. And I spoke to them. And and um, and uh, and all they wanted to talk about was the jogger. And I told them, I said, no, we were coerced. We never did it. This is what happened. And um, later on that night, I knew a correction officer who worked there because he also worked at the juvenile facility that I was at. So he called me up. Yo, get on the phone. You know, go get on the phone. And I go to, I call my dad. And I'm like, you know, they brought me back down here asking about the jogger case. And he starts laughing. And he's just like, yeah. You know, the guy came forward. And I'm like, man, get the fuck out of here. You lying. And he's like, I'm dead ass serious. He came forward. And I hung up on him. Stop playing. Boop. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't until later on. Because the last thing you want is fake hope. Fake hope. Mm. Fake that hope. will make it harder to do your time. Yeah. So you're like, no, shut up. Yeah, I only want to talk about this. Right. So I hung up on him. And then um, 
you know, I started thinking about it like, damn, did this dude really come forward? Wow. Right? And it wasn't until they sent me back to my facility that he came out and he did the special, the ABC special, where he's telling, you know, how he committed the crime. So what is the... I mean, like, what is the feeling? How is the information? Like, you know, he's he's on the TV, but you can't just watch TV whenever you want. Like, yeah. just how is it coming to you? Like, oh, my God, somebody is admitting to having done the thing that I've been. Oh, my God. How is that reaching you? How is it, that it, it feeling? It took a while because, you know, I was in denial. Like Yusuf said before, he's like, we always thought that they was going to make him the sixth man. Right. right. That was going to be their thing. He's the sixth man. He's the one that got away. Put him in there. Now the package is complete. Right. And I was so institutionalized. I thought that that was that's what they was going to do. And that's and what so, they wanted to and do. And that's what they wanted to do. And so what happened was that the prison found out. And then all the support came in. And guys were sending me articles. They were sending me this. They was talking to me. It was actually an inmate who said, you got exonerated, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, you know, that drug case that you have, you got to go back and get resentenced as a first-time offender. Wow. Wow. Right? It was another inmate who told me that. And then I called my attorney. He was like, yeah, we're taking care of it right now. So so it was it was my attorney, Michael Warren, always had a lot of hope. And he would say, I'm going to get you home before Christmas. And I would be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, all right. I, I'll see it when it happens. And he did it. How long was it from when Matias started to when they let you out? About eight months to a year because we had to go through that whole uh, reinvestigation. Yeah. So they had to do the reinvestigation and, and figure everything out. And then it was that it was December 5th of 2002 when we got exonerated. And then I got out uh, December 22nd of of 2002, right Home before Christmas. Christmas. Home for Christmas. Right, right before Christmas. So you had been out, yeah. Yusuf, for several years, but still s- struggling. Yeah. Everyone thinks I'm guilty. How did you first start hearing about Matias Reyes? Man, um... I forget exactly where I was when I first heard about him. I might have actually been in Georgia, you know. Um, but immediately my thoughts went to, they're going to make this into the sixth man. You know what I'm saying? They're going to they're gonna somehow um, make this go away, sweep it under the rug. This is just, you know, because I, I, I had already dealt with them. Yeah, we know how they play. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really ugly to be able to, have that hope, even though I was home. For me, it was also false hope. Mm-hmm. I needed something real. I needed something that I could grab onto and say, okay, cool, you know? But, and then the the beauty of being able to finally have it put behind us, you know? I remember <laughs> watching, as I was watching the, um, the, the television footage of Michael Warren, he, he didn't even get a chance to sit all the way back down in his seat until the judge said, so granted, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, this is finished? Just like, like that. Like it's really over? Just like that. You know what I'm saying? Because now that was our new normal. This nightmare you got to go to parole. You got to go, you know, register with the Megan's Law every three months. Yeah. You know, it was like that's the new, the new normal. Yeah. And that was crazy. It's gone just like that. So here we were with this routine for the last seven years, and then one day it's just gone. And he's like, all right, what do I do now? Right. All right. It's weird because for a lot of people, your name is still messed up. Yeah. They still know. I mean, that was this is a gigantic national story. Yeah. So even as you're vacated and exonerated, 
are you showing up for some jobs? And they're like, oh, that's the Central Park jogger. Yeah. Oh, no, we yeah. tried. I mean, I went for a job. I'm not going to say who it was. And they Googled me. Hmm. And even though it was said exonerated, I didn't get the job because of that. And and the reason why I found out was because the person who gave me the reference worked there. And so when she went to HR and she questioned them, they told her. And she said, you can't do that. That's wrong. And so then they offered me the job, but I was like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> because <laughs> if you did this to me, I don't know what the setup is. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and so here we was. There were still articles being written about us to say that we were guilty, to say that we didn't deserve a payout, to serve, to say that, you know, don't be so fast. You know, here was Linda Fairstein. Yeah. Oh, Ken Burns is going to do this doc, and all these facts, you know, haven't come out yet. We have a civil suit pending. When all this stuff comes out, everybody's going to see the truth. So there was this big backlash all the way up to, what, 2012. Right. Right? It wasn't until that doc drops. And then people go, wow. Yeah, that doc changed everything. That doc changed everything. That's why. That's one thing that's beautiful about the doc, and also when they see us, is that the the both pieces can live on their own, mm-hmm. but also the doc can be like a precursor or a prelude to the to the actual retelling of actual actors and actresses in when they see us. I mean, I love the Ken Burns piece. I was. Hurt by the ending because they made it like they're free, yay! And I was like, "Whoa, they're not free! Hmm. They still walking around with this over their head. They don't have any money. They're struggling to get jobs." Like, you know, that's part of why I wanted to write my story because I'm like, "Let's talk about the struggle to get this money." That's right. Which may never happen. That's right. right. I mean, we had we had Bloomberg and we had Bloomberg in three terms. Yeah, and he said no. And then we found out that he worked at Solomon Brothers. He got fired from Solomon Brothers is where the jogger worked. And he received a $10 million severance package. Have you ever met her? No. No. Any no. desire? Well, we, 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 we used to say, we used and to. I'm saying used to say, uh, I right. feel like there's a different kind of sentiment. We used to say, uh, you know, the door is always open. And in reality, the door is actually always open. I don't, I don't want to say we used to say to, Not to for stick me. to that. That's just closed. Well, no, I'm gonna say why. <laughs> I'm gonna say why I say yeah. that. Right? I say that because if she, if she somehow gets it in her mind, the reality of how this system messed us up, she will want to meet. But if she continues to believe the narrative that the system has fed her, you know, they're telling her. Um, don't believe what they're saying. Your injuries are not consistent with a single perpetrator. Do you know or have you seen the monstrous acts of a Matias Reyes? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a serial rapist who was doing this before and after Correct. this happened. There was a particular MO that he used that was consistent in this situation. That's correct. I mean, there's so no. Are you saying you don't want to meet her? Nope, not at all. Why not? Because at the end of the day, here we were saying that the door was open. Now, recently, she comes out and she says, well, I don't want to believe that the police uh, didn't do their jobs. So now she's starting to take a stance with them. It's nothing to talk about anymore. Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely aligned. And that's the part. She has the part where I initially said, you know, because she's aligned herself with that. She's 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 bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. And at this point, that may be 
the only thing that she can hold on to. She's yeah. no longer because in it's control. too tragic. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's not even that. It's too tragic for the reality of what really happened to be the system messed up, right? Mm-hmm. That her real, the real perpetrator was left to commit more crime. And she says it. That part is difficult, you know. She says that these are the people that she has been in contact with. These are the people who have been telling her the narrative. These are her friends. She believes them. And if she doesn't believe them fully, she does. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want them to be, be proven wrong. She wants to believe that they did the right thing. So Jesus. there it is. Is it is it strange to see you know the way that Donald Trump was acting when you guys were on trial, and now he's the president, and it's just more of the same at a different scale. Mm-hmm. Is that strange to you? Nope, not at all. We called it back in 1989, 1990, and nobody wanted to believe us. You, you called yeah. what? We called what he was and how he was. And at the end of the day, he proved us right. And we sat through all these years of our famous celebrities smiling in his face, getting these photo opportunities with him. And, and I felt disrespected. Here was this man called for the death of 14 and 15 and 16-year-old babies, right? And then I got to turn around and see him posing in pictures with some of my favorite celebrity figures. Yeah, that's, that's a hard, that, that was hard to digest. I mean, even, like, my, one of my most favorite hip-hop artists is Nas. Mm-hmm. And I remember when um, that song where he says, I want to be rich or something like that, like Trump and Marla Maple. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, ah. And of course, I know that everybody is now... Disassociated themselves with Trump yeah. because of the. the, the I mean, know, he was thing. a clown. When right, he was but the thing is Yorker. that you just didn't yeah. you didn't know that he was one day going to be the president of the United States, right? That's still hard to digest and swallow because, you know, for those people who voted for him, they some of them had this kind of resolve that no, no, no just give him a chance. He'll, he's going to become presidential. And I'm like, yeah, if you're 70 plus years old, <laughs> you ain't gonna change. You are whatever you show you people you is who That's you right. are. That's this right. is the fabric of your being. You are nothing more or less than what you're showing me. At 35, it's hard to change. Much oh, less 70. That's right. So when we last spoke, Yusuf, you said that I haven't had a good night's sleep in decades. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How are you now? I think that that might be true still. Really. Yeah, you know, you know what it is like. Even with the nice house and you know the the different trinkets, so to speak. You know, if my wood floors creak, my mind isn't thinking the house is settling. My mind is thinking somebody bypassed my security. I gotta grab the shotgun. Somebody's coming because it's you're in the prison mindset, but yeah. and and you just and that part is a part of who I am. Yeah, I think that that part will never leave because there has not been a rest, a restoration to that trauma. We went through it, we experienced it, we survived. Yeah. You know, but when we we we've been able to survive, we've been able to step forward in spite of, you know. Yeah, Tony Montana says, right? Why you got all this surveillance and all these cameras? He said, because it makes me, it helps me sleep good at night. 
My house is the same way. You like, can't sleep. I, I I can't. I mean, when I didn't have a, a security system, there were guns, right? And 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 it, it's people say, "Oh, that's just the New Yorker in you." And I said, "No, it goes deeper than that." It, I mean, it's from being incarcerated. It's from being incarcerated. It's from being. You know, Yusuf's got a, a death letter that says 30 years from now, somebody's going to come and tap you on your shoulder. Yeah. And it might Did be at that, that moment, it might be at that moment that they're coming to serve justice. And so now I have all these <laughs> cameras around my house and the kids are like, oh, I mean, somebody opens the door in my house to go into the garage and my alarm says, garage door. I'm yelling. Who's that? Yeah. What are you What are you doing? We just going into the the deep freezer to get something. Okay, I tell it has my, to be announced. I tell my son that all the time. Listen, don't just come over, or don't just open doors, because listen, I'm tense. Well, yeah. not only that, I'm licensed. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Georgia. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Well, the I mean, Second I don't, Amendment, right? Yeah, That's I mean, right. I don't have it like tucked in the safe somewhere. You know what I'm saying? It's on me. Like, like, listen, I need to know who's coming in my house because like this letter, uh, if I can, if I can read this letter to you. So this letter was written in, in the 25th of uh, April of 1989. This letter says to Yusuf Salam, this letter is to let you know that your name has been placed on the list of enemies of society by the Citizens Army, New York City branch. You made a decision when you became one of the pack that decided that Central Park was your arena and decided to attack and violate honest citizens who happened to be in the park. So just remember that even 20 to 30 years from now, some people will never forget. And maybe the one time that you don't check your back is the one time that somebody just might be there to say hello. This was sent to all of us. I have copies. I kept <laughs> no, my dad. I kept them. I kept the copies. You see what I'm saying? And so this this is a devastation that you never remove yourself from. You rem- like I remember that. I'm looking at folks, and I could be walking down the block um, in a moment, and all of a sudden I catch somebody looking at me, and it's immediately war. It's immediately years. like, this is, 30 is this a friend or a foe, right? A lot of people have come up to me and said, man, I love the way you put your tie together with that shirt. Now, I'm, <laughs> I'm like... Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that reality is there. That very real experience that was had that will never be disassociated from. That will always be a part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Always be a part of it. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there, I know you're going to go, is there anything <laughs> else that you want to say? Ah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm appreciative of where we are now in our story and in our lives. I feel like we are. This is a second lease on life, right? The globe is giving us love and respect, and I think that that is magnificent. That 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 positioning of sorts gives you a different vantage point. That was needed because for you to be a 14, 15 and 16 year old child seen as a pariah, that is the world. Your, your neighborhood is the world. And now for the whole world to see you as a hero, even though there's some folks here and there that might have their comments and things like that, you know, 
Um, the beauty is that we can still remain noble. We could be honorable. And we're changing people's minds and hearts. And we're changing the criminal justice system with this when they see us. Seeds are being planted. Those individuals that are going to come and say, I want to be a detective. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a judge. I want to be a forensic scientist. I want to be a journalist. Right? They're using all of these past experiences and saying, I do not want to be that type of individual who 30 years from now in my career, I'm on the wrong side of history. Mm -hmm. I want to be on the right side of history. And so these stories, these experiences, these these brilliant retellings, I think are giving people the equipment that they need in their toolkit to push us all into a better space in tomorrow. Thanks to Yusuf and Raymond for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Brandon Tago, and our photographer is Chuck Marcus. We're distributed by DCP Entertainment, and we will be back next Wednesday, no doubt, with another amazing person, because the man can't shut us down. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Danny Pellegrino, and I'm the host of Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino. Now, if you like reality TV and pop culture, I think you might like my podcast. I break down your fave Bravo shows, and I also feature exclusive interviews with amazing celebrities like Real Housewives from every city, and icons like Fran Drescher, Marsha Gay Harden, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and so many more. This week, I have the legendary Katie Couric on the show, so be sure to follow me on social media at Danny Pellegrino and subscribe and listen to Everything Iconic on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.